Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock! Hey, now, it is the Hammer and Nigel Show. I am Jason Hammer. Big Nige with a rare day off. Nigel did not make it into work today. I know this is a surprise to everyone. Absolutely. Just groundbreaking news here. Please, just try to make it through the day without us. I don't know if there's some sort of policy of what we do when Nigel's not here, but we will try our best. Uh, Tony Kennett of the Daily Signal uh, filling in for Big Nige today. That's right. We got a little bad blood going on right now in this Indy Mayor's race. Oh, say it ain't so. And I'm not talking about my thoughts against any one of these candidates, because I don't like either one of them. I'm talking about with each other. Mm. So the Shreve campaign, they're all types of ticked off. They got their panties in a twist about this TV commercial that Boss Hawkset's campaign has put out, where they're basically using the words of Jefferson Shreve in a previous interview that he did on the Mouthwash podcast, and they're using those words against him when it comes to his thoughts on guns. Let's let's break it down a little before we hit the audio on this one. So, Shreve came out a, a couple of weeks ago, and he had this big, exciting campaign. He said, you know what Republicans really want in the city of Indianapolis? They want to We want to ban and confiscate AR-15s, want to raise the gun purchase age to 21, and I'm going to work with Indiana legislators to pass all these new laws because what Republicans, conservatives, libertarians, what they really want is gun bans. That's what we are about (laughs) in my public safety plan. And he has defended that. He doubled down in an editorial to the Indy Star because shockingly, Republicans like that, like Flint, Michigan, likes clean drinking water. And this is where we are. So it appears that, you know, apparently Shreve was just saying, what was it, earlier that uh, I guess he wasn't for gun bans? What's going on here. So I'm going to play you the commercial that Boss Hogsett's team has put out there. And again, the soundbite you're about to hear was a small clip from the Mouthwash podcast that Shreve appeared on back in April. He was proud to be on the Trump campaign and proud of his own A-rating from the NRA. Listen to Jefferson Shreve on gun rights just this April. How are you going to keep our rights from being infringed? Well, I don't think we need any more laws. I don't think we need to add more or infringe more. Jefferson Shreve on guns? No thanks. So that little bitty snippet right there on that podcast is what has panties twisted in the Shreve camp to the point to where they've issued a cease and desist letter. Oh, that'll work. To... WTHR, Wish TV, RTV6, Fox 59. They're saying that the Hogset ad contains false, misleading, and defamatory content. Which is really funny because uh, I actually have seen the NRA questionnaire that Shreve filled out, and uh, none of that's taken out of context at all. I saw when the NRA gave him an AQ rating, so I will fact check the Hogset campaign. It's an AQ rating, not an A rating, but that's still a, a thumbs up from the NRA. I've spoken to staff at the NRA that have confirmed that Shreve was very pro-gun all up until about three days before he made that comment, which again is funny because Shreve was actually filming his I Want to Ban Guns commercial a month before his announcement. And not only that, but of course, the complete cluster of a mess that his entire campaign has become. 
Why the cease and desist letter at this point? I mean, your campaign's a nightmare. It's burning garbage. You went on a podcast that I have been on twice and said very overtly, we do not need any new laws. Those were the words he used. We do not need any new laws uh, that would ban guns. And yet now, apparently we do. It shows that Shreve's a liar. Now, this podcast, this mouthwash podcast, Lucy Breton was the one that asked that question. There's another host of that, and he's going to join us in studio coming up here in just a few minutes. And we're going to find out his perspective on whether or not anything was taken out of context. So we're going to get to the bottom of this. Um, There was a mass shooting that took place in Muncie Mm -hmm. over the weekend at this block party that was taking place in the wee hours of the morning. And then there was a bizarre press conference that took place yesterday. Now, if you follow the news cycle, that press conference brought us nothing. There was no need for that press conference. I mean, they literally had no information to share. So it's a little odd that they decided to call a press conference. Tony, I know you've been kind of following this story a little bit. So as many of you know, that whenever there is some kind of a shooting, the first thing that we see is everyone hopping on Twitter going, white supremacy is terrible. It's awful. I can't believe all of these white people are shooting everyone everywhere. And when you don't hear that come out in the first narrative, usually the story just kind of floats for about five minutes and then it's like really, really quiet. And uh, due to the eyewitness accounts of several that were at the event, it did not look like the shooter is a white supremacist or anything like that. However, things get a little interesting because you would expect the police department, let's say the Muncie Police Department, or at least the Delaware County Sheriff's Office, to do some kind of investigation. And they would do the investigation, then they would call a press conference. Instead, you have some absolute oaf ignoramus lumber out up to his podium, take his hand out of the Cheeto bag and say, well, there's just too many guns in the streets. Oh, Phenomenal investigation there, Sherlock. That's just, I'm so glad our tax dollars are going for your expert analysis. Wait until, you don't know if that gun was legal or not. You don't know at this point whether it was a surplus of guns. that You have no idea. So far, the best eyewitness that we have is an individual who claims that his nephew was the DJ at the block party. Let's wait. Let's wait before you get out there and start preening in front of the media, you gross oversized chicken. And why is it that if they don't have a suspect brought in yet or a person of interest brought in yet, why can't they give us more information? Are you looking for somebody that was a white male? Are you looking for somebody that was a black oh, male? Oh, you, you, you and I both know the answer to that because if it's ever, if it's a white guy, we get like basically a detailed sketch. We get all of the details of the clothes he was wearing, what kind of haircut he had, the many eyelashes he had on his left eyelid. And that's the kind of information you give out. But when the guy doesn't fit the white supremacist description here, all of a sudden it's, well, he was about medium tall and and he's probably wearing a shirt of some sort and and the guns just magically floated I, up in the I've air i've never seen anything there are too many guns in the streets dang it that, the guns are white hearing. supremacists the guns are white supremacists they floated up in the air they were wearing clan hoods and they fired off by themselves yeah absolutely so this is just going to be another situation again i'm going to wait until the investigation concludes
words before I start to make my thoughts known on what happened in this particular incident. I would recommend that the <clears throat> professionals, otherwise known as the police officers and their PIO, to maybe keep his mouth shut until there's more information to come. And the thing with these PIOs, public information officers, some of them are really good, right? We talked to a number of them with the Indiana State Police. Uh, those guys earn their paycheck. They're really good. Others that work in the media area of different police departments, not so much. Some of these people have no idea what the hell's going on or who is actually in the media, and they're actually doing a disservice to the officers they're supposed to be protecting and lifting up. You know who I've got? I've got to praise two really great officer offices of uh, Fishers, the Fishers police information officer, fantastic. That entire police department is run fluidly, lock and key. They know exactly what they're doing, never embarrasses them. All of the information is out correctly. And also, Henry County, where I was born and raised, their sheriff's department does things right as well. Uh, and again, I cannot heap enough praise on sheriff's departments that just do it right. It's not complicated to do communications. Be honest without running your mouth and embarrassing who you're representing. And I just feel for the good officers in the Muncie Police Department that have to deal with the shame of this goober getting in front of everyone and saying, well, clearly there are too many guns everywhere. Okay, really? I didn't realize this was your soapbox. You have officers to represent. And all right, if you're going to say that there are too many guns everywhere, one could argue this block party, maybe there were too many people everywhere. Where was your police department to say, hey, this party that's going on in the wee hours of the morning, maybe it's time to wrap this thing up. Maybe it's time to pump the brakes on it here just a little bit. Because this was not a city-sanctioned event. Sometimes they have these city-sanctioned events where it's a block party and the city's there. You can meet your counselors. There's bouncy houses for the kids. There's pizza and beers and and things like that. That's not what this was. This was a self-organized basic block party that went on way too long. And then, of course, violence happened. So if you're going to tell me your argument is, well, there's too many guns. How about you supervise this thing just a little bit? This many people having a block party and nobody knew about it? Nobody thought this isn't good. Maybe there's going to be a fight. Maybe somebody's going to get hurt. Maybe somebody's going to get shot. Let's not kid ourselves. Muncie is an area where some of those things can happen. I know this. I spent some time up there during my Ball State days, right. and it hasn't gotten any better since I was there. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It was on this date back in 1981, MTV launched. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Tony Kennett's in for Big Nige. The very first video, Video Killed the Radio Star. The song we came in with right there. 1981, the launch of MTV. And if you're around our age, this was a game changer. This was a big deal. This is what it sounded like as MTV hit the air. Two seconds away from switching to the redundant set sequencer. We've gone for redundant set sequencer start, then counting. Five, four, we've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. 
And then it goes into the video. Now, I was four years old when that happened. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you I remember the launch, but I feel like I'm somebody that grew up with MTV. I had videos to watch, though. Tony, you may have had a different experience with MTV. No, I mean, I, I when I was growing up and I, I did turn on MTV quite frequently, it was more of the, the early aughts kind of era. So once we got out of the boy bands and we started finally getting into the videos from uh, more of your neo kind of alternative rock, uh, that was great. Because some of those like Green Day music videos were wild when I was in like middle and high school. Uh, I really liked those. Thriving Ivory was also a big band for a while that no one has heard of now. Uh, so yeah, I spent a lot of time watching some of those videos. And actually, MTV music videos are what got me started mixing audio and video. I was inspired by some of the junk that I saw, which some of these goober bands recorded with some cheap little flip-up right. camcorder. Yeah, some of that stuff got me started. And if you think about the cultural significance of what MTV brought to the table here, you could make a case that MTV had the first pop cultural successful reality show with the real world. Yeah. Now most of a primetime lineup is reality shows. I don't know if there'd be a Survivor, Big Brother, you know, all these types of shows without the success of the real world. MTV proved that when you provide a level of technology that is more available to the average person that you are able to create a juggernaut of content, a, a large anchor in any platform just because people have access to it. So for the first time with MTV, again, people with resources could get on television. You didn't have to you know, lobby to get on your local state's airwaves and, and be retransmitted on this tower. You could just hop on that cable lineup. And it created this weird burst through the 80s and 90s of all of these new weird crazy channels that you're right, are responsible for just an upteen amount of content that now, I mean, has spawned YouTube and Twitter Twitch and ways for the average person to get out there and become famous overnight. And the marketing of MTV, although it was very basic, it was super successful. Absolutely. Because every rock star, pop star of the 80s at one point has said, I want my MTV. And they used that in commercials. They had the Moon Man, that oh, iconic dude. music that we just heard. That's what it, that's the, I mean, I know that first commercial by heart. I mean, it was like in the intro to broadcasting class that I never took. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> like how you do it. And that's really the idea that MTV spawned off of. I think that MTV was a way of the United States really declaring that we knew we were going to win the Cold War. We had ba the Russia was falling apart with Afghanistan at that point, and we were just like coasting off of this surge of Americanism that was like really starting to swing in, would be continued through the Reagan administration, and it was just what rock and roll became, right? It was critical of America until rock and roll became the heart and soul of this country, and MTV originally was the channel that stoked that flame in teenagers. I mean, it was right. like that American flag obnoxious, yeah, we're here, let's go. And and that was what MTV stoked for a long time. And you're right. There was no social media. There was no YouTube. Nobody could log onto their computers to watch the video. When the Thriller video dropped, when oh. Michael Jackson came out with Thriller, that was appointment television. Like you turned on MTV hoping to see the Thriller video. And some of these videos made stars out of the artists. Like would Peter Gabriel's solo career would that have been as successful without some of those crazy videos, like the Sledgehammer video? Um, some of those videos, Aha's Take On Me. Oh, exactly. I mean, think about it. Again, when you start 
introducing a new medium that no one's ever heard of before to be used by just the average person. You know, it's not just Walter Cronkite reading monotone into the microphone. I know a lot of people that are over the age of 50. I just really pissed off by saying <laughs> that. But when you introduce a medium and allow people to experiment with it and see what works, you do create a new pathway for people to become incredibly famous. I mean, cooking TV was not heard of before 89, 92 with Julia Child. I mean, it just completely changed everything. And on that pathway to be famous, some big stars actually came out of MTV. Do you guys remember the game show they had? It was about watching TV. It was called Remote Control. The announcer on that show was Colin Quinn. Some of the characters they brought in included Dennis Leary, and at the time, playing the role of Stud Boy, a young college kid from New York that nobody had ever heard of named Adam Sandler. I grew lustily at the First Lady of Seoul. I've heard, only Stud Boy can make you feel like a natural woman. And then I licked her large, waxy ears, and surprisingly, she slapped my manly, handsome face. <laughs> She may have said no, but she'll always have the R D S P E C T of me. The stud boy. (laughs) Charlie. Yeah, five points. So young, like 19-year-old Adam Sandler is this, you know, love machine. And he's talking about the celebrity that he's made out with. And the contestants have to guess who it was. And they ring in on the buzzer. And remember, Bill Clinton was the first presidential candidate that waddled out half drunk onto MTV (laughs) and told everyone that he liked jazz and brought a saxophone. I mean, this is, again, once it became an established part of television, television was never the same, ever. Great moments in MTV history. MTV News Kurt Loder was actually the first one that broke the story about the suicide of Kurt Cobain. Hi, I'm Kurt Loder with an MTV News special report on a very sad day. Kurt Cobain, the leader of one of rock's most gifted and promising bands, Nirvana, is dead. And this is the story as we know it so far. Cobain's body was found in a house in Seattle on Friday morning. He was dead of an apparently self-inflicted shotgun blast to the head. Police found what is said to be a suicide note at the scene, but have not yet divulged its contents. Cobain, who was 27, had reportedly been missing for about six days, according to his mother. And he had scooped all the networks on that. And then they had their own award shows. And you had some interesting moments on their award shows. Taylor Swift won a best video for something. And that (laughs) didn't go over well with Kanye West. Yo, Taylor. I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. Just yesterday, when we were talking about the passing of Paul Rubens, who mm-hmm. was Pee Wee Herman, one of the great moments in MTV was the 1991 awards, just a couple months removed from his arrest for treating his body like an amusement park in an adult theater. Pee Wee Herman opens up the award show. Heard any good jokes lately? So, on this date, back in 1981, MTV made its debut, and for all of those Gen Xers like I did that grew up hoping and praying it was spring break week on MTV, cheers to you. You're listening to The Hammer and Nigel Show. A lot of drama going on right now with this mayor's race you've got one guy that went missing during riots you got another guy that's being viewed as a rhino and now both of those guys are fighting with each other 
Good times. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. My name is Jason Hammer. Tony Kenneth's filling in for Big Nige. You know it. And in studio, one of the hosts of the Mouthwash Talk Show uh, podcast program that predominantly talks politics, local issues, a little pop culture. Uh, John Schmitz is with us. My man, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I guess what you're trying to say is it's an elephino. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so you are one of the hosts of this program that's got Jefferson Shreve's camps undies in a wad here. Now, I'm going to play this clip one more time. This is from the Joe Hawkset television commercial, and they're using a soundbite that appeared on your program. Take a listen. He was proud to be on the Trump campaign and proud of his own e-reading from the NRA. Listen to Jefferson Shreve on gun rights just this April. How are you going to keep our rights from being infringed? Well, I don't think we need any more laws. I don't think we need to add more or infringe more. Jefferson Shreve on guns? No, thanks. So that was one of your co-hosts, Lucy, asking the question. You heard Jefferson Shreve answer it. And now his camp has issued a cease and desist of all the television stations. They don't want that commercial aired. They're saying that clip was taken out of context. So the man that works at Mouthwash, was it taken out of context? I I think in some degree it was. Uh, If you were to watch the entire you know, interview with him. Uh, Dana Black, who is a prominent Democrat here, uh, pretty much agreed with Jefferson about the state staying out of our uh, business, so to speak. Uh, and it, it, they just twisted around. He didn't say gun laws there, but on the if you watch the commercial, it says gun laws on the bottom. And I just think it's a little that's a dirty trick. You know, another dirty trick from the Democrats to try to muddy the waters. Honestly, I think Jefferson has muddied the waters enough on his own. I don't know how much help he needs. It's just such a weird move with a cease and desist. So, you know, you now you have Shreve sending cease and desist letters to the various uh, regional uh, news stations here in Indiana, WTHR, RTV6, Fox 59, etc. And, you know, I, I really don't see how he's possibly going to... I don't like what does he think he's going to gain in this kind of a, of a situation? I mean, you talk to him. Do, do you think that by trying to, I don't know, get this off the air, that it's it's going to keep that clip out of people's mouths? I mean, what have you guys taken the episode down? Uh, no, in fact, it's we're up and it's live and it's, uh, you know, for a little podcast like us, it's it's good. Uh, it's good that somebody's actually paying attention, you know, Uh I, to me, first of all, it was. Uh, I think it's an unforced error to do this in the beginning, but it just seems like, well, let's let it die down. And about the time it slows down a little bit, the, here we go again. It gets picked up. So I don't know what you could do to correct this now. Uh, I'd focus on all the other stuff that's wrong. I mean, right now it's just a mess. It's just like a mayor salad and with no croutons. So let me back up just a little bit here because I'm having a hard time understanding how it was taken out of context. That soundbite that I heard, I heard Lucy ask Jefferson Shreve his thoughts, and he says the last thing we need are any more laws. So are you telling me that he wasn't talking about guns at that point? No, he wasn't talking about guns because we had all the, it was for the primary, so we had all of the Republican candidates on, and Lucy asked the same question to each candidate, and hers was basically all rights, anything. So in that regard, yeah, he sort of did backtrack on his, oh, well, I'm going to come after your rights, 
as a gun owner. But Wait a minute, though. Didn't she say, like, how are you going to protect our gun rights or Second Amendment rights? Or did she just say protect our rights? She just said protect, infringe upon our rights. So, Allison, can we play yeah, that play one more again. time? This is the commercial. Trump in the Trump campaign and proud of his own A rating from the NRA. Listen to Jefferson Shreve on gun rights just this April. How are you going to keep our rights from being infringed? Well, I so, just rights. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there you the, go. the thing is, the Second Amendment has the clause shall not be infringed. Everyone knows when you're talking about rights being in, like nine out of ten times, it's talking about the Second Amendment. That's what Hogsett's going after. It's kind of hard to construe this another way. But also, I, I will make it clear. I've seen the questionnaire from the NRA. I have seen Shreve's answers to how he got he actually got an AQ rating not an A rating so that is a fact check on the Hogshead campaign ooh but in in this particular case he was all pro 2A and he said you know no rights at all no laws about infringing on rights I I mean am am I splitting hairs here does it look like he screwed the pooch I think both of these guys have. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, saying Hogsett, Hogsett's like an already given. Right. So, John, let me ask your opinion here. You're a man that's ran for office before. Politics is in your family. It's kind of what you guys do. Have you ever seen anything like this in Indianapolis where it feels like every voter is just so disenfranchised right now, Republicans and Democrats? It. It has just spiraled down into a not even a dumpster fire. It's a dumpster inferno with with where we've gone. Uh, I just it's like amateur hour in politics. I I don't know uh, if Jefferson would have just stuck with the interview that he did with us on that show. He was in his car. It was relaxed. He was you know just talking. I think he would have been fine, but I don't know what happens when they get these political advisors that they actually Bingo. pay, so, and then it's like, you think maybe they're trying to drive this in the ditch on purpose. Here's what I've heard. Uh, so, I've spoken to members on the inside of his campaign. Oh, here we go. Inside uh, info, baby. Yeah, inside that, um, information. That uh, have very are, are, have turned on him. Now, first of all, there are members inside the Indiana GOP who have told individuals on his campaign to flee, get out of there, because it is the Titanic of Titanic campaigns. But they have told me me that in in this entire situation, uh, Shreve basically just kind of walks out of this with left field, and he was terrified of Hogsett's campaign ads. So Shreve didn't listen to his voter base. He didn't listen to the independents who were already leaning towards Shreve for, again, just not being Hogsett. And instead, he's leaned into these campaign ads. So realistically, it was actually Hogsett's campaign team and their their advertisements of saying, hey guys, did you know Shreve is a Republican? And Shreve's like, oh no, I can't have anybody thinking I'm a Republican. Oh, my God. And so he went and my doubled God, back on Shereen this issue. Pee Wee Herman all of a sudden. Yeah, really. yeah. God rest his soul. No kidding. <laughs> so, and, and, and John, one of the things we were talking about before you walked in the studio was there's a very good chance, and Tony made a great point, that Jefferson Shreve was filming these television commercials talking about his gun plan, which in essence wants to be a gun ban, during the primary. Like, these commercials aren't filmed in a day, and they're at the TV station the next day. These things take time. He knew he wanted to do this all along, but yet he didn't tell anybody. And that's why people like me are so frustrated. You know me. I hate Joe Hogsett with the passion of a million fires for what he has done to the city of Indianapolis. But this other guy doesn't want my vote either. He no. views me as the problem. This is what happens when you hire... Do you know the name Matt Organ? Have you guys talked about him on the show? Uh, I know the name. That's Matt funny. Organ is the campaign manager for Shreve. So Matt has has said in, in private, as well as you know in the open now, he's kind of been forced to, to say, well, you know, it's good to be behind this position because what Democrats in Indianapolis really are for is the gun ban proposal. 
No, the gun ban proposal is the least popular thing with Hogsett and Democrats. Black and Hispanic men in Indianapolis own guns in this city more than any other city if you take out the five biggest border, southern border metropolitan cities. This is not a Democrat gun ban town. It's so silly to move this way. I mean, what are you, what are you hearing on mouthwash? It is. Well, we hear the same thing. I hear that from a, a lot of folks. It's like, okay, we have all these issues. Let's pick this one. And I just, to me, I, I just scratch my head. Either it's they're trying to run this into the dumpster, or it's they're not smart enough to know the difference. Either one is bad. So if you were all of a sudden picked to fix Jefferson Shreve's campaign, if there's still time, what would you advise him to do? I would, I would not speak of this ever again. I would put it in a, mm. in a, in a treasure chest. Can he and run and hide from it, though? Oh. No, I just, if they ask you, say, hey, just deflect. I mean, politicians are great at deflecting. You deflect it to the roads. Well, he tried. You know, I, I, he but, tried for two weeks. Yeah, but and, he's, and he's, 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 too, he's too scared of Hogsett's videos. And there's people like me that won't let people forget about the weasel that he ultimately became. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, really, well, it's not a good well, idea okay, to jangle okay, keys let's, in front let's of back Jason. Up, let's back up a little bit. Let's pick on Hogsett here, because he's the guy sitting over in the shade. Oh, we know he sucks. I know, but he's just over they're drinking lemonade and eating popcorn, watching this <laughs> this this fiasco, and going, "Wow, he's making me look good." But but if you look at you know, I've approached Joe on a lot of issues: BNS, uh, all you know, floodplain in Mars Hill, sidewalks on the Mars Hill, and Andre Carson, Justin Moad, Joe Hogsett. I've given them proposals. I've met with the city, and they have never returned a phone call of mine. Never even acknowledged that. In fact, Joe Hogsett, every time I get done talking with him, the party's going to kill me for talking to you. So what at least Jefferson Shreve answers my phone. Okay, okay. So I, I hear I hear people say this and, and the, the word from the Marion County GOP that they've expressed is he's still better than Hogsett. Okay, here's my response to that. How do you know? Right. How do you know? Because up until 15 minutes ago, he was pro 2A. So uh, that's considered a sacrosanct belief of the Republican Party, of conservatives, of libertarians, of, of a lot of independents. So how do you know that he's not going to get in office and change on something else? You don't. You have no idea what he will or will not stand on because he's already flipped on what is considered the most core belief of the independent United States citizen. John Schmitz with us from the Mouthwash Talk Show. John, maybe I'm just a sucker. Maybe I'm somebody that still believes that politicians work for us. Politicians have to earn our trust. And for that reason, I'm not voting for either one of these guys. I will write in another candidate. I'll write in Abdul. I'll write in you. I got 200 write-ins last time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll write in you. But if somebody doesn't want my vote, if somebody like Jefferson Shreve views people like myself, like our families that are law-abiding citizens, if they think we're the same as these lunatics throwing bricks through the windows of Indianapolis, you can take a one-way ticket to hell. You're not getting my vote. I'm, I'm with you on that, too. It's like, what happens to service. I mean, po- you know, politicians want us to serve them and it needs to be the exact opposite way. You know, and I've tried that method, you know, and it, it just seems like, you know, the political machine will grind you up and spit you out. Mm. And uh, that's just how it is. And we're going to live with it. We're going to be forced to live with these candidates that really, I talked to a lot of people, they don't want them, either one of them. So real quick, full circle before we wrap up here, 
your program, you are somebody that, yes, you're critical of Jefferson Shreve, but you also feel like that clip that Hogsett is using was indeed taken out of context. Yeah, I, I think I think it was, let's put it this way, it was really pushed to that limit of, eh, you know, is this is this really what he meant to say? Where people, where can people find your show? All right, you can. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, YouTube Tuesday nights live uh, at 9 p.m. So tonight we have a show. We have Dr. Dan Stock coming on. Oh, gonna... great guest! And, and honestly, I've been on the show a couple of times. It's a lot of fun. They have yep. a section at the end where everyone puts on a tinfoil hat, and, <laughs> and uh, we all talk about like which conspiracy theory we believe is true that week. It's and, fantastic. And I believe mine will do something with the thing. And then I also have brought you guys a mouthwash talk show, uh, talk show T-shirt in all here. All right. So, there perfect. we go. Uh, Thanks, dude. You have that. And, uh, you know, just uh, and then also we're also on Channel 40 WHMB. We're on Monday nights. It's a recorded. I'd boil it down to 30 minutes. You're on TV. Yeah, we're on. WHMB. How the, wait, uh, how, the, how did they get a TV show? Good for I, I, you guys. We're Good the for fastest you. growing show on the internet. Everybody in this room has a TV show, but you, Tony. Yeah. How does that oh, raise your hand? Oh, yeah, because you're on the wish. <laughs> yeah, you're on the wish. Ah, <laughs> forever in the basement. Jason, Jason did a segment on uh, sports betting for us. So we do peeps yeah. on the streets and different segments, and we did sports betting. So we try to have fun. People would say, oh, the tinfoil hat's goofy or whatever. But tune in. Facebook Live, you can ask questions in the audience. If you have a good question, we'll put it up there. If you have a bad question, we'll put it up there. We're just starving. Oh, that is true. They give you the bad ones. Oh, we get some bad ones. John Schmitz, thank you. Thank you. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock the Hammer and Nigel show. Big Nigel is out. Tony Kennett, investigative reporter for the Daily Signal, pinch hitting today. You were fired up about this Hamilton County library situation. Uh, fired up, maybe putting it a little strongly. I'd say cackling with glee. So, uh, for those who don't know, things have been a bit contentious in Indianapolis and across central Indiana over the last couple of months because Rob Kendall and yours truly were both thrown out by police at various public board meetings. Rob Kendall was over in Brownsburg. He got thrown out for talking out of turn. I, with my press pass on from the press pit, uh, responded to an allegation made by a school board member uh, as the board was closing the meeting. Uh, and I you know, asked them to cite their source. I was escorted out by police at the direction of their school board president. Which in both cases is ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. So now, all of the sudden, however, of course, the Indy Star was very silent on those things. No one mention, you know, when, when conservatives or libertarians are removed from public board meetings. However, at the Hamilton East Public Library board meeting, which, by the way, is receiving just way too much attention for no reason, because uh, Lieutenant Governor candidate Micah Beckwith is on the board and, and city Fisher City Council member Tiff, uh, Tiffany's on the board. Long story short, there was this dude and this dude uh, yelled at the, the library board members and then threw, like slammed some books and, of course, According to some people that I've talked to in the room, acted in a very threatening manner. So Tiffany is like, I, you know, we're not, we don't have time for this. You know, policemen escort this guy out because there's security at these things, 
and they escort people out like they did Rob and right. yourself. Tensions have been high because the the Hamilton East Public Library Board is reviewing a lot of content that's meant for teenagers and things like that. And so the officer's like, look, you know, if you're going to scream and act like an idiot, maybe, you know, you should stand outside. You know, people are trying to listen to the meeting. Guy's like, no, he ends up getting taken out anyway. And so Rachel Fredette from the Indy Star, the dwindling, poorly subscribed to Indianapolis Star, the left wing rag, writes a whole article about how man is arrested, <gasps> arrested at a Hamilton East Public Library board meeting. And all of the progressives are clutching their pearls and going, oh, it's the death of democracy. Oh, no, <laughs> Gerald. And it's just terrible. I think it's really funny. I mean, good for the Indy Star finally deciding to care when when conservatives and libertarians and parents are thrown out of Indiana public board meetings. It's crickets. But, oh, if a guy slams some books and yells and he gets thrown out. Oh, God, it's you know, the fascism is here again. It's it's crystal knocked in the flesh. You mentioned the dwindling numbers of the Indy Star. I've been hesitant to talk about this, but since we're talking about it. Got an inside source. I do like inside sources. Inside information that their annual subscriptions, paid subscriptions, is around 3,000. <laughs> now, think about this. Think about how big Indianapolis is. Oh, God. This is the paper of record, right? And the Indy Star has done in the past some amazing work. The whole Larry Nasser thing, the U.S. gymnastics thing, well done. Right. Great job. But for every Larry Nasser story, there's been just a ton of just minor league level bullcrap. Like the angles they take. I can't remember who the writer was, but after the Greenwood Mall shooting, oh yeah, they decided to go after Eli Dickin, the hero of that situation, because he had his gun in a gun-free zone, even though he saved the day and eliminated, you know, surely more fatalities in that mall, he had a gun in a gun-free zone, and a writer made him the bad guy. And it's because of that crap right there that my source, and again, I don't have access to the numbers, I can't verify it, but somebody in the know has told me their paid subscriptions are around 3,000. And by the way, that's really scary because uh, several other Gannett, that's who owns the USA Today paper network, several other Gannett newspapers around the country have been shut down for much, much less. And I can confirm that there have been several conversations in the upper administration at Gannett to, like the Columbus Dispatch, shut down the Indianapolis Star. And I make this promise to our listeners out there that if the Indianapolis Star goes bankrupt, I will buy it for 31 cents <laughs> and I will run the Indianapolis Star and, and I will turn it into literally just a publication that covers sports and restaurants and nothing else until we can figure out what on God's green earth is going on. Here's since we're speaking of the star here's a headline in your wheelhouse oh okay because again you're the education guy right? is it a headline announcing that their strike that they hosted finally ended is that the headline no 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 oh guess that kind of faded into oblivion well what's this headline Two days ago, okay, from your friends at the Indy Star. Gotcha. Quote, just days before most Indiana schools start, 
A sex education law will remain on the books after a federal judge's decision. Ooh, so that makes it sound like that the Indiana legislature banned sex education for all K through 12 schools. Gee, I sure hope they didn't completely misrepresent that. <laughs> oh, wait. Yes, they did. Yet again, the law in question simply bans any teacher from talking about sexuality, gender fluidity, or other kinds of transgender ah medical nonsense in kindergarten through third grade classrooms. You are not allowed to discuss sexual concepts with children under the age of 10 on the taxpayer dime. That is the big, bad, horrible law. We can't talk about gay sex with children, Hammer. Isn't it sad? I mean, really, that's what the headline is. If you're paraphrasing the headline, the indie star is upset that young kids can't learn about sex. And this is, again, this is just par for the course. Their reporters do not actually do any decent kind of journalism. I have to send all of, so we have three categories of news over at the Daily Signal. We have straight news reporting, we have analysis and commentary. And if I do not meet a very specific series of standards that my editors grill me over, the piece does not get labeled as news. It gets labeled as my opinion, which, by the way, those are some good stories sometimes. But the Indianapolis Star runs straight news piece that are full of all of this opinionated garbage and omission. They'll, they'll carefully just leave things out and they'll have to go back and correct things. It is a garbage rag of a newspaper. And by the way, people on social media think so. And I mean, just go back to last week when we lost Ron Sexton, the iconic uh, Bob and Tom cast member, uh, phenomenal comedian, good guy. The picture they chose to use to announce the passing of Ron was one of their former employees dressed up as Donnie Baker for Halloween. That's the photo. So of the millions of pictures of Donnie Baker you can find pretty much anywhere online, the one they chose to go with was one of their former employees who looked nothing like Ron dressed up as him for Halloween. So I, I have just kind of thought about this. Uh, I went to college for education and for uh, pre-med biology. Those were my majors. And then I got two graduate degrees that were education degrees. Uh, I never majored in journalism. And I get raked by progressives all the time whenever I write stories that say, well, where's your degree in journalism? Where's your bachelor's in journalism, Tony? And, uh, I, you know, I've never... Uh, mocked a dead person by putting the wrong picture up in their thumbnail after they passed away. I've actually never had to file a retraction for one of my stories. So I guess it's not having a journalism major one, having a journalism major zero. And not just the wrong picture, somebody that used to work for you in that building for a long, long time. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Imagine being that bad at your job and then demanding that your employer also needs to pay for your phone and needs to pay you all of this extra money when no one's subscribing to you. You're a trash publication. Hammer and Nigel presents... Is... It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Is this anything? All right, let's rock and roll. Rock and roll. So this is how we're going to do Is This Anything today. With Tony Kennett filling in for Nige, I'll run the stories by the Tonus. Oh, that's right. He will be the one that tells us if these little stories, these back page nuggets are really anything or not. Is this anything? A new survey on nakedness 
Buck Nakedness states that the state where the people feel the most confident being nude is the state of Washington. There's a tie for the states where the people feel the least confident about being in the buff. Oregon and Indiana coming in last. Is this anything? First of all, I'm very proud of Indiana. It's so nice <laughs> to be in a state where uh, at least a lot of people don't want to show how naked they are. Pr- appreciate that. Uh, I do think it's really quite ironic that Oregon basically is looking across the border and seeing all of the comfortably naked people in Washington just going, ugh, ugh, maybe that's, maybe that's not such a good idea. I'll I don't take th- a rain <laughs> check on that. How about no? <laughs> so you look at what's going on in the state of Washington. Uh, they brought us Chaz, and they're bringing us full frontal nudity. Imagine being too over the top for the people of Portland, Oregon. I mean, again, I'm, I'm just thinking of, of all of the people that are like, well, yeah, we may be awful here in Portland, Oregon, but at least we're not a bunch of nude hobags up in Washington. <laughs> I'd, I'd say that's a win for the day. And I'm probably in the minority here, because if anybody wants to see me naked, God bless you, you should get to see it. So even though Indiana <laughs> is dead last, Allison, quit shaking your damn head. You just do your job, okay? I don't need commentary from you. <laughs> I'm somebody that wants to give the people what they want. So God bless them. Is this anything? A Kansas farmer took it to the next level when celebrating his 50th wedding anniversary with his wife by planting 1.2 million sunflowers in their 80-acre field. Apparently, sunflowers are his wife's favorite. Here he is talking about planting a million freaking sunflowers for his wife, Renee. So we're celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary, August 10th, and, uh, you know, what's a guy get his gal on their 50th? And I, I put a lot of thought into it, and she always liked sunflowers, and I thought this is the year to plant sunflowers, so we planted her 80 acres of sunflowers. That anything? I mean, it's a good thing you didn't get the flowers wrong. I mean, imagine her. <laughs> you know, you get out there, and dear, I, I planted eighty acres of these beautiful sunflowers. Your favorite flower for you, and she's like, Bill, that's great, but I like tulips. <laughs> Who's this woman that lacks sunflowers? Like it would turn just like instantly, that instantly, and then he would be out there with a like just a rake in the middle of the night, just like pulling them all down. The poor guy questioning his life decisions, like. I get what he's trying to do here, but let's just say I did something like this for my wife, the crazy coupon lady. She would yell at me, you spent all this time doing this? How much money did you spend on this? What were you ignoring while you were working on the stupid million flower project? My wife would go out there and go, oh, that's that's really nice, babe, and then would never mention it again. And would so be like, oh, yes, you're welcome. She'll go home, lock the door, drink some wine, and have a good cry by herself. <laughs> Is this anything? A Houston woman is spending the days searching storm drains to save puppies that are lost inside. So far, she's recovered two puppies that have been lost in storm drains. Here she is talking about her experience. Gonna go in and look for some puppies. I have probably spent eight hours in a storm strain. Can't sleep knowing that there's puppies in here gonna die. I know they're still in there. I just think they're further down. That anything? Uh, you ever walk into an antique shop and you just hear the cuckoo clocks kind of go off? Um, that, <laughs> for me, that that just sends up that kind of a red flag. Look, good. I'm glad she rescued those puppies. How often is this happening? 
Right. Like, is that a thing? Like, I mean, is it, you know, like dispose of puppy in storm drain? Is this like a, a standard procedure I missed in junior high? I don't, I've never heard of that before. And then number two, eight, ou- eight hours that you're just like wandering through storm drains? And it's in Houston, so you know it's hotter than blue hell. I mean, I, I, they don't spend that much time when they're like filming, like, when you're in the sewers in like a Hollywood movie or like in The Fugitive when Harrison Ford is like running through the storm drain. Right. Like they didn't spend that much time. Andy down Dufresne in those did not drains. find any puppies on his way out of Shawshank. I knew Andy Dufresne liked puppies, but I didn't know he'd find them in a storm drain. All right. Serious question. Let's say that 22 year old Tony Kennett is a single man. You're at this bar. You're talking to this woman. She's she looks pretty good. She's not Kate Upton, but she's not Joy Behar. She's somewhere in the middle. Okay. And she tells you, oh, by the way, my job is I go around in storm drains for eight hours a day hoping to find a dog. Do you or do you not still continue to have a conversation with her? Give me a number. You can't just say between Joy Behar and Kate Upton. You have to give me a number for this one. She's a seven, and if you have a few drinks, she's probably an eight. Okay, if she's seven and, and you know, like, I, I've had a few drinks, then it depends. I, oh, man. I don't know. There's some she's crazy, really nice. There's some crazy that just seeps through your personality. I, I would say I would probably kick up a little more liberal than is in my personality and, and talk about just how passionate I am about visiting animal shelters for just a little bit. Uh, but other than that, no, absolutely no way. Am I a horrible person? Because my next line would have been, no way. I spent eight hours putting puppies in drains. <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep the conversation rolling. And that, then I tell her it's a joke. That is the response. That's fantastic. <laughs> so awful. Is this anything? A toddler in New York is hoping that his hair can raise thousands of dollars for veterans. There's a two-year-old boy named Grayson Woods, and he's reached the finals of the USA Mullet Championship. (laughs) The prize is $2,500, which he said he will donate it all to Jared Allen's Homes for Wounded Warriors if he wins. Is this anything? This is everything. So when you started this story, I thought, oh, he's got to be talking about like someone who's like growing their hair out for cancer wigs, something very serious, right? You really do not expect it to be is growing their hair for the mullet championship. And if you win the mullet championship, it either has to be spent on beer or the veterans. Like that, those are the two that's often it. that's often the same thing. But like seriously, that's what you gotta donate that money to. Those are the only two charities worth donating to in a mullet competition. I want this kid to move to Indianapolis and I'll vote for him for mayor. I will write this kid's name in, this two-year-old toddler's name in for mayor. The mayor with a mullet. Oh, it's so good. And in honor of us speaking about the mullet, or as they say in Europe, the moulet, here's a little bro country, you know, a little hip-hop, little country mixed in about our favorite hairstyle. Business in the front, party in the back, Kentucky waterfall, Mississippi mudflat, that denim downhiller, Tennessee top hat, Missouri compromise, I got that shorty long back, it can be smaller or bigger, I ain't a stickler, it ranges from many mullets to Florida Georgia spine ticklers, I always let it dangle, no I don't let it tangle, so baby if you're single, come and get a better angle, <laughs> if you're sexy and you know it, bring your fingers your hands. yeah you know you can't control it, shake that ass and shake that mullet, if you're it's the Hammer and Nigel Show. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to The Hammer and Nigel Show. So there's one thing that is bringing Republicans and Democrats together. Going after Ron DeSantis. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Tony Kennett from the Daily Signal filling in for Big Nights today. That's right. So we heard Kamala Harris when she came to Indy, and she's been doing a couple other speaking engagements, ripping Ron DeSantis for what schools are teaching in Florida or what schools are not teaching in Florida. You expect that from the Democrats, sure. right? But Republicans are helping out Kamala. You've got Byron Donalds of Florida yep. and Tim Scott, both hitting DeSantis over the way they're teaching slavery and history. Take me through your thoughts. So uh, I'm sitting there uh, watching this debate unfold because there is a standard in the the Florida state standards that suggests that it is important to let students know that post-slavery, uh, ex-slaves who had uh, obtained trade skills like carpentry while they were slaves fared better than other ex-slaves who were stuck in the fields. So that was that's one, that's one of the the standards. And so what a lot of Democrats are saying is that this means that Florida is asking teachers to tell students that actually there were some benefits to to slavery because some of them got like free trades education. That's not at all what the standard is saying. But that didn't stop Kamala Harris, who has read about three books in their life, and one of them is Cat in the Hat. Uh, <laughs> she has gone out saying that you know there's Republicans are saying that there were good parts to slavery and. And oh my goodness, I can't believe they're so racist and terrible and all this other nonsense. And so looking at this situation now, uh, DeSantis responded and said, no, you're dumb. Uh, but then a lot of Republican members started coming out. Pro-Trump. Pro-Trump members. members. Uh, so key, like, I think. Yep, like Byron, uh, came out and said, you know, hey, you need to correct this. You need to fix this. I'm sure the Florida Department will fix this. You know, this is a, this is a bad move. We can do better. And I like Byron Donalds. I do. Yep. And by the way, he has since retracted that statement and said, you know what? I was wrong. I should have read it more closely. I apologize. Tim Scott, of course, had to come out and, and say, I like Tim Scott a lot. Very stupid move by his campaign. I actually know the comms person on his team who encouraged him to go out and say this. Very stupid. This is why your staffers should read things before they advise you on what to do. <clears throat> Shreve. Uh, but you had a lot of Republicans say, hey, the, the standard is racist. But it's not. It's not. It is a there is a very good reason, a very good series of reasons, which I'll you know condense down to tell students who prospered and who were abysmally just in the wastes post-slavery. It is, first of all, this is literally what divided the country post-Reconstruction. So Booker T. Washington was very pro-giving black men and women who were freed the tools to basically create communities and embrace industry, etc. Whereas W.E.B. Du Bois, who's also a founding member of, of the, the ideology behind critical race theory, said, you know what? No, actually what we need to do is hate white people forever, and, and white people across the board are very evil, including the union, and they're very, very terrible people. And Booker T. Washington and W.E.D. 
DVD boys clashed like for decades. That's what this standard is to set up. It is important to note that this is what drove the push towards black education in our country in the second half of the the 20th century as well. So the moral of the story is you should read things before you accuse uh, DeSantis and his administration of being racist. By the way, several other states have the standard. Several AP U.S. history courses have the standard. Ron DeSantis is not their governor, though. That's the difference. And that's what this is all about. So again, I know we've kind of gotten in the weeds here quite a bit. We went down an avenue of Booker T. Washington and Du Bois. Ultimately, and I want to try to make this as simple as we can, because that's the way I like to do things around here. Right. This is about the messaging that if you learn more trades, if you learn other ways to make yourself useful in society, mm-hmm. you'll probably be more successful. That really is what this is about. Yep. And certain people, both sides of the political aisle, have a problem with that. Yeah, because they think that if you can twist the words around and say, well, that means Republicans are saying that slavery is good. No, no that's not what they were if saying at all. you're a white plowboy in the field, if you're a white farmer, guess what? If you learn other skills, if you learn you know, to do different things, there's a chance you could better your income. And it's funny you should mention that because Thomas Sowell, when he wrote the book Black Rednecks and White Liberals, or uh, excuse me, we'll flip that around, uh, Black... Uh, Redneck, yeah, yeah, black rednecks, white liberals. That's that's correct. Uh, when he wrote his introductory chapter, he talks about the Indianapolis civil rights movement, and there was a large group of people in Indianapolis who wanted black immigration from the South that were trilled, that were skilled tradesmen, and they did not want poor white trash coming up who did not know any skills. They actually reserved houses in Indy for skilled black tradesmen, and they said that we don't want white trash moving up here uh, and ruining Indianapolis. We don't ever talk about that. What's going to be hilarious, and you know as well as I do, this is going to happen. Somebody that doesn't really listen to our show anyway is going to tweet in, Hammer and Tony Kennett were condoning slavery. <laughs> like, the stupid people that only believe what they want to believe or hear what they want to hear is a big part of this problem. Right. right? The abolitionist movement in the United States was led mostly by white Baptists from the North. So if you're going to get out here and start talking about legacies or whatever, my legacy is rooted in abolitionism. Uh, and also, for that matter, I have the education degrees. So I get to talk <laughs> about education and curriculum development. Uh, Tony Kennett filling in for Big Nights today. That's right. Donald Trump on Truth Social says that charges should be coming any day. Indictments coming down any day now now for the January 6th stuff, uh, the grand jury getting together here. Donald Trump, your thoughts? And people see it's bullshit. Tony Kennett, your thoughts? Uh, I'm just saying that I really am enjoying Trump's Truth Social account day after day after day. You get on Truth Social a lot? No, but I have a. I follow a few Twitter accounts that post everything that he posts. Okay. And so I, I got to tell you, he is coming out swinging regarding these indictments. Biden is screwing himself over with his indictments. And uh, honestly, I'm just ready to see what happens. I've said it before. I'll vote for whoever wins the 2024 GOP presidential primary. And uh, I got to say, at least Trump is making this entertaining. And don't forget, there's probably going to be more stuff from Georgia coming down the line as well. So it's almost like Oprah, you get an indictment and you get an <laughs> indictment. I mean, they are overdoing it at this point. And again, this is what the Democrats do. And they, nothing for Joe Biden, by the way. Oh, well, not yet. Let's let's, you know, I, I of course not the for the, his DOJ. Of, well, you can't prove anything. There's no paper trail. No, there's a freaking paper trail because the idiot crack smoking son left a paper trail. But they're really good at 
sticking up for their buddies. So that's where we're at right now. This is why people feel like there's two different systems of justice. Right. Maybe you hate Donald Trump, but maybe you hate Joe Biden too. You look at both situations here and you're going to tell me that all of these indictments are coming over here and nothing is happening over here. Witness testimony, under oath, phone call records, bank records, uh, video of the big guy bragging that he got somebody fired for shaking them down. It's all right there, but nothing, nothing. We'll just wait and see. Uh, Kamala Harris. She was interviewed by Lindsay Davis. Lindsay Davis used to work here in Indianapolis, I believe, at Channel 13. Now she works at ABC. She was a moderator for a debate last election cycle. She did a really good job. I like Lindsay Davis a great deal. And she interviewed Kamala Harris and asked her right to her face about her awful approval numbers. There are reports that say that you have the lowest approval rating of any vice president. I'm curious, how much of a role, if any, that you feel race and gender play in that? Well, there are polls that also say I have great approval ratings. Uh, uh, No. 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 No, there's not. Name one. Name one poll that's not your staff members that say you are a great vice president. You are polling lower than Joe Biden. I didn't think that was possible. But Kamala Harris is the drag on that ticket. By the way, and this is why for a lot of individuals that I've spoken to who say that if, and by the way, this is likely that Biden passes away before the Democrat 2024 primary. God forbid. But if that happens, a lot of people are saying that Kamala Kamala Harris would be the next the presidential nominee. No way. There's no, no way. way. No. I, well, I, I, there's never been a time when a VP hasn't ended up becoming the president. Well, no one's ever been as bad as Kamala Harris has been. Historically, before. she won 3% of the primary vote last time in her home state. No one ever wins 3% or less of their home state in a primary. She has no shot. Even Democrat voters don't like Kamala. Remember, she was running for the presidency, and nobody liked her. She was one of the first ones to drop out. People thought Amy Klobuchar was more likable than Kamala Harris. Let that sink in for just a moment. So I don't want to hear any crap about, there's a lot of polls that say I'm popular. No. It reminded me of the scene in Billy Madison where Chris Farley and Adam Sandler's characters were at the bus. Well, there are polls that also say I have great approval ratings. No, you don't. No, 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 they didn't. But you can imagine what it'd be like if they did, right? Huh? 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 Huh, Kamala? You can imagine what it'd be like, right? Woo-wee! Goodness gracious. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock! It is the Hammer and Nigel show. I'm Jason Hammer. Tony Kennett filling in for Nigel today. That's right. Keeping our eye on the news. Donald Trump puts on Truth Social. He expects another indictment pretty much at any time now. He wrote on social media that he expected it at 5 o'clock. So at some point today, it sounds like another indictment will be coming down for Donald Trump, this time in regards to January 6th type of things. We will have more on that coming up. But another 
just sad day for law enforcement mm. here in Central Indy. Yeah. And man, I'm so exhausted of talking about the sadness with the law community right now. But right. another recruit has lost its life. Timothy Geyer, uh, Indiana Law Enforcement Academy recruit, passing away. Sounds like it was a... Uh, you know, medical health type of emergency doesn't sound like anything too malicious at this point. Investigations are ongoing. Let's go to the drivehubler.com hotline and bring on the president of the Fraternal Order of Police, Lodge 86, Rick Snyder. Rick, I wanted to talk to you today about recruiting numbers and where they're at with the IMPD specifically. But again, another sad day for law enforcement. And my thoughts and prayers go out to the family of recruit Geyer and all of those that wear the badge. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Yeah, thank you for that. We always welcome those prayers. Uh, As you can imagine, these families do fill them, and it's uh, vitally important. you you got a wonderful family here that is a faith-filled family, and uh, they're leaning their full weight on God during this time. You know, you have a you have a recruit deputy here, a sworn deputy with the Johnson County Sheriff's Department. You know, you take a look at it. Forty nine years of age has been reported. He uh, he's already had a, a career and a full life, and wanted to make a second career and give back to his local community. Uh, you know, we see folks that are they see what is going on in our neighborhoods and across our state, and they want to and they always ask, how can I make a difference? And here you have a a man that's leading by example. Uh, and tragically has lost his life uh, there at the training academy. We know that the investigation's ongoing. Our understanding is that the Johnson County Sheriff has deemed it a a line-of-duty death, and as a result, our uh, state FOP critical incident team will be, um, they've been requested to assist this family uh, and this agency in the next steps as they uh, proceed uh, with the aftermath of this. So uh, keep those prayers coming. Uh, If this is a uh, line-of-duty death, this would be the fourth one, and right at a month uh, here in our state. And uh, it's just a reminder of what women and men that we're surrounded by, what they're willing to do, and not just what they do on a day-to-day basis. And so our hearts and thoughts and prayers go out to them. Okay, so just so we're all on the same page here, because there's a lot of information out there, uh, Johnson County is saying this is a line-of-duty death. Is that correct? That is how the sheriff is deeming it at this time, and they're waiting for the uh, full investigation to be completed. Uh, But, you know, a line of duty death can occur just much like this, guys, uh, with a medical emergency as a result of of the work that you're doing. And so, um, uh, you know, uh, it's amazing when you look at line of duty deaths across this country, all the different ways that our law enforcement officers lose their lives and sacrifice their lives for their communities. And uh, again, just a reminder of what folks are willing to do. And uh, we're just very grateful for this to this family uh, for having a loved one that was willing to step forward on our behalf. What can people listening to this radio program, people like me, people like Tony Kennett, what can we do to help uh, these families? I know morale is bad. We've had that conversation a lot, Rick. What can we really do to help? 
Well, it's a little different. You've got the Johnson County Sheriff's Department, and you've got Johnson County as a community. And I tell you, there are a few counties that are as strong in their support for law enforcement as Johnson County. Now, we saw that with Trooper Smith, uh, and who lived down there, and uh, through his funeral proceedings and the ongoing support from the community and Franklin and Greenwood and Trafalgar and uh, Burgersville and many other areas down there. Uh, so that's a that's a nice, unique feature uh, for law enforcement officers to have. People say, what can we do? Guys, this isn't contrite. It's, it's, it's a matter of fact. And when we say, when we ask for people to pray, you know, you hear people say, uh, you know, enough with your prayers and condolences. Well, I'm going to tell you something, guys, whether you're a believer or not. Uh, prayer and faith in God is the only thing that's going to get us out of these messes. Right. And when the really bad things happen, I always say there's no atheists in foxholes, uh, meaning that when the when you find yourself in the mire and the muck of this life, oh, you're going to cry out to something, someone bigger than yourselves. And so that's why we always say love God and love your neighbor. What you can do is love God, pray to him, reach out, pray for this family, and then love up on this family. Uh, and, you know, if you find somebody says, well, I don't know that I believe in that or I don't pray much, perhaps this is a good time to start and just talk to God and lift this family up to him. Uh, that's the best thing that you can do. And then finally, uh, as we always say, keep showing those blue lights. You think that that might be just kind of a, uh, a cheesy kind of thing, but it really does make a difference to our officers and deputies and troopers for them to see that visible support from our communities. And that's a great way of doing that and posting those pictures online. So that's actually something that I wanted to ask you about, Rick. So in the last couple of months, uh, you know, obviously there have been several tragedies regarding officers in the line of duty, as well as uh, just some of the difficulties faced by police departments in the state. And that kind of one of the things that I always want to check in on is, is what kind of interactions have you been receiving from the community? Because I've been in Philadelphia where people do not appreciate their police departments and, and they, they spit at them as they walk by and things like that. But Hoosiers don't treat their officers on the line like that. What's the kind of response that you've seen in the last couple of months amid some of these tragedies that Indiana police have faced? Well, I'll say this. I have the pleasure and, and <laughs> the unbelievable privilege to serve as the national chaplain for the National Fraternal Order of Police. And it's representing nearly 400,000 officers and their families across this country. That's a lot of folks. And uh, in that role, I get to interact with many agencies and communities all over the United States. And what I can tell you is this, is Indiana stands out for their Hoosier hospitality. And even our national FOP president, Patrick Yeos, recently shared in Washington, D.C. at the Washington Memorial that when tragedies occur in other communities and they don't know what to do or how to show their support, the first thing he always says is reach out to Indiana because nobody does it better. Uh, we are blessed in this state uh, with folks who turn out. They, they show up and show their support for our officers, and it does not go unnoticed. That's why we always say we know there's a great silent majority out there. But we need the silent majority to become the loud majority and to say we support law enforcement and we stand behind that those who stand on the thin blue line. Uh, that's what's needed most during this time. We're chatting with Rick Snyder, president of the Fraternal Order of Police, Lodge 86 here in Indiana. So, Rick, we're looking at some numbers here for recruitment, specifically with the IMPD. I'm reading they just swore in 33 recruits, but they're still 322 officers short. Is this correct? Is this number real? 
that is real. And that was uh, just acknowledged and reported by the IMPD just yesterday through a news report by WTHR and Jenny Renovich over there. And uh, what she had found is that when they swore in these 33, that left them 322 officers short. That means they were 355 officers short. Right. But that's not even the worst news, guys. So here's the other numbers that matter. Already in the first seven months of this year, we've already lost at least 115 officers from the IMPD. They're heading for the exits in record numbers because they're going in droves to, uh, just like I just shared with you, other communities in the state that show their support for law enforcement, communities that support their officers, but also uh, organizations that show that with good equipment, good pay. And there's a lot of competition out there right now. And political leadership, too, right? We're talking about, like, political leadership. When we talk to our officers that abruptly leave from IMPD and we say, I, I ask them, give me your top three reasons why you're leaving. Number one, every 100% of the time is they're going to other, if they're going to another community, it's where they have a prosecutor that is not like prosecutor Ryan Mears. It's the first thing I always hear. The second one uh, is political support and morale issues from their agency. And then the third revolve around better pay, uh, better schedules and better equipment. So we have to pull out all the stops in Indianapolis to make a turn on this. We are seeing a mass exodus from Indianapolis. And you just had the Indiana State Police guys. They just passed a 30 to 50 percent pay raise across the board, opened up a lateral transfer program where existing seasoned, well-trained officers from IMPD, quite frankly, can apply and transfer over to them. And they're going to get significant pay raises and greater support in doing that. That is why we keep saying that we must compete. If we don't, it's a recipe for disaster. The reason this is such a big deal now is because we are right at hovering around the 1,500 officer staffing level. IMPD has made clear if if and when we dip below that, they have to have contingencies in place for reducing services and changing how we're providing services in the city of Indianapolis. The chief of police acknowledged that yesterday and said, while we're not, he said, we're not making cuts, we're making contingencies. Well, we're making contingency plans for future cuts because of this officer shortage. And that's what we keep talking about is that there is a true bottom line impact, guys. We have an agency that is not pursuing stolen vehicles anymore. We have an agency that's looking at eliminating their arson unit. Think about that. Eliminating professionally trained law enforcement officers who investigate crimes such as arsons, one of the top felonies in the criminal code. We have an agency that's looking at stopping to investigate property crimes without a known suspect. So you get your uh, you get uh, something stolen from your home that you've worked hard for. If there's no suspect, you have no idea who did it. It probably isn't even going to get assigned for an investigation because we're so short on officers and detectives. And we have less traffic enforcement that's been occurring. We've seen demands from city councilors saying, wait a minute, you're not writing tickets anymore or enforcing as much traffic. And we're seeing traffic crashes increase across the city. Oh, all of the sudden it's affecting them is it right see what happens is what we find is is that when the bad things happen the first thing people want is a high visibility presence of law enforcement well guys that's what we say all the time but we've got to have the bodies to be able to do that and that's what we're talking about is how do we we've got to retain the officers we have first and then the recruitment will follow the city says we're in a recruitment crisis we are not we're in a retention crisis and the reason why that's so important is because because you, you're not going to recruit officers to join a sinking ship. 
So when they're right. watching more officers leaving than you can hire, who wants to go work there, especially when you have the pick of the litter across the state of many other communities and departments you can go work for? And Rick, just to summarize here, and I know you got to run here, uh, for somebody just turning on their radio, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom and Mr. Scary here, but IMPD admitting they're over 300 officers short, certain departments, whether that's arson, fraud investigation, the gang unit on the verge of being cut completely. And when you speak to officers that are leaving Marion County to do the same job somewhere else, the number one answer they give you predominantly is the prosecutor, Ryan Mears, and having to arrest the same people over and over again, correct? Absolutely. And that's the pressure they feel from their families that say, why would we keep doing it here when we can go someplace else and have greater support and greater success and safety? And guys, the, the message to the resident who might just be turning in the taxpayer, quite frankly, of Indianapolis, but also throughout the state who this is your capital city. Listen, as a result of these changes in these officer shortages and crime going up as a result, that means property values go down, insurance rates go up. Businesses start to leave, employees begin to move, and your tax base goes away. That's the bottom line uh, effects of this mass exodus and the officer shortage that we're facing. That's why we must compete and retain the officers we have. Rick Snyder, President, Fraternal Order of Police, Lodge 86. Rick, as always, thank you for your time. thank you. And tell all of your officers the Hammer and Nigel Show supports what they're doing. God bless you guys. Keep praying. Thank you. We are on Indictment Watch with the Big Bad Orange Man. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Big Nige is out. Tony Kennett is in. That's right. And about an hour ago or so, Donald Trump went to social media, Truth Social, and basically stated that he expects an indictment at 5 o'clock. Well, 5 o'clock came. We didn't see anything. But, Tony, we're starting to see a little action right now. Yeah, so a few on uh, social media are starting to report that uh, a sealed indictment has been handed down against an unnamed individual in the investigation of former President Donald Trump and his allies, quote-unquote, attempts to overturn the 2020 election, end quote. So, I mean, at this point, yeah, he's going to be indicted again. And uh, I don't know, I I think that Democrats are going to do the exact same thing that they always do, which is they may have one small thing, and they are going to take it way too far, and they're going to screw themselves over with this. Donald Trump, in regards to the special counsel indictment for this, quote, unnamed person, went back onto Truth Social, quote, why are they putting out another fake indictment the day after crooked Joe Biden scandal? One of the biggest in American history broke out the halls of Congress, a nation in decline. That is Donald Trump on Truth Social. So... Trump campaign, they're now saying he's been indicted for the January 6th things. This is from the special counsel. Does this even really move the needle anymore, Tony? The first grand jury, the first indictment, when it was Fat Alvin in New York, everybody was freaking out. Are we going to see a mugshot? Are we going to see him in handcuffs? It was wall-to-wall coverage. But since then, I think a lot of people are either 
I'm bored by this or right. you guys have nothing. So this is honestly my take. As far as the 2024 election is concerned, at this point, everyone knows who they're voting for already. It's done. I, I do not think that there is a soul out there who, at this point, can f- is flipping to Donald Trump. Trump has the number of voters that he's going to have set in stone. However, this is Biden's race to lose. And so when you look at this kind of a situation, uh, I'm seeing more of more that Biden gets hit with, the less people come out to vote for him. The number of voters that Trump had yesterday is the same as today, as the same will be tomorrow. So again, Fox News alert, Trump campaign says... He has been indicted for January 6th. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to The Hammer and Nigel Show. Hey, Tony! Hey, Tony! Hey. Pretty boy... Tony. It's Tuesday with Tony Cass on the Hammer and Nigel Show. Uh, don't want to keep Tony waiting. Oh, look at this. It's Tuesday with Tony's, plural, nice. here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. Uh, I'm Jason Hammer. Big Nigel's out. Tony Kennett filling in. And we've got Tony Katz on the DriveHubler.com hotline. Mr. Katz, how are you? Nigel is out? (laughs) (laughs) It's shocking. I know. Didn't even know that happened. Every once in a while, uh, we get to do the Hammer and Nigel show. But for the most part, it's Hammer and Friends. And let's be honest, it's better that way, right? Come on. Come on. All I know is, you know, you tell me he's not there. Next thing you're going to tell me, uh, Nigel likes beer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. That may shock some people, too. Uh, we got a number of different places we can uh, begin here. But let's start with the investigation into the Biden crime. Family yesterday, this cat Devin Archer testifies behind closed doors to the House Oversight Committee. Nothing we didn't expect to come out of this. Now, we haven't seen the full transcript, but it sounds like Tony uh, Archer sang like a canary, said the big guy knew uh, what was going on with these business deals. Is this a big deal? big deal. It's a huge deal. In the world of is this anything, this is everything. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, you, you have not just corroboration from Devin Archer, because we all knew that Joe Biden knew about the phone calls. We just didn't know how he knew about the phone calls in terms of what his participation was, and we still don't have a full story on that. Right. But we knew, of course, that Joe Biden talked to Hunter about his overseas business dealings. We knew all of this was possible. But it wasn't just Devin Archer who gave us the corroboration, because you could say Devin Archer is the guy who's going to go to jail. Devin Archer is the guy who's engaged in fraud. If you're a business partners with Hunter Biden, honestly, how trustful could you possibly be? Trustworthy could you possibly be? But no, Representative Dan Goldman, who wants to obviously be the guy who falls on the sword and make his bones in leadership in the Democratic Party. Oh, it's ridiculous to think that they were having business conversations. You know, they were talking about niceties and the weather. To paraphrase the (laughs) former president, you mean it was a perfect phone call? Right, right. That's what you're telling us. Every phone call Joe Biden was on was perfect, and business didn't get discussed. 
This is, of course, the desperation because they've been caught. All the time they told us that Joe had nothing to do, uh, didn't know anything, or didn't speak to him about his overseas stuff. That was all a lie. It was always a lie. It's why they've been moving the goalposts over the past week or so. And now Dan Goldman confirming that Devin Archer should be trusted and then stating, but it was perfectly fine. I mean, this is really what gets me because you have uh, President Biden walking around back in the day saying uh, that, you know, he was really proud of that Ukrainian prosecutor being removed and kind of leveraging a billion dollars in aid to Ukraine at the time over it. And of course, that's what Hunter Biden was lobbying for. And all of this has just come to uh, such a cacophony of noise that Democrats are no longer able to ignore it. And that kind of leads to the next question. Uh, What do you think the Democrats, when forced to reckon with this, are going to do with the uh, 2024 Democrat primary, although they're already throwing their weight behind Biden. Uh, do you think this changes that? I mean, how does their tune change, if at all? It doesn't change in the slightest. It, it, they're not changing anything. Biden did nothing wrong. All of these impeachments are nothing more than witch hunts. You heard Adam Schiff say it the other day. They want to impeach Mayorkas. They want to impeach Garland. They want to impeach Biden. Uh, this is an impeachment uh, looking for a subject and a crime. That's that's what he said. But he said it to Jen Psaki, so I can understand why you never heard it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was it, that, that, that might as well be the two of them on a bar stool. Like either one of them has the uh, the, the absolute fortitude to down a whiskey. Um, this. this They're not going to change anything. Now, I'm one of the people who doesn't believe that Biden's going to get removed from the ticket. Everything is possible. I'm discussing probable. They've put too much weight behind this. I don't think they're in time to replace Biden Mm. on the ticket. I think that had to take place in April or May. I think they've already bought in. This is where they are at. And maybe they have some internal polling that shows maybe uh, Gavin Newsom isn't as popular as we think in other parts of the country. Uh, but I don't think this changes the strategy for them. Their strategy is, yeah, but Republicans, don't forget that they're racist. Don't forget that they're fascists. Don't forget uh, that they're a threat to democracy. Everything that they are, they then project upon uh, their opponent. Never forget that. Right. We're on with Tony Katz uh, for Tuesday here, and uh, we're just chatting a little bit about all of the insanity regarding the Biden investigations and just the bombshells after bombshells. And by the way, message to both Tony's here. If you're going to talk about Representative Goldman, please call him by the name that we use this afternoon program, Al Bundy Jr. Because (laughs) you can't look at me with a straight face, Tony Katz, and tell me that Representative Goldman doesn't look like a young Al Bundy that just came home from the shoe store and he's ready to put his hand down his pants. So uh, the problem, the, hold on, we have to break this down. The, the fundamental issue here is that you you somewhere like Al Bundy. So I don't know <laughs> if, if I can make this work. What if I said that Dan Goldman actually looks like the guy from Bachelor Party who ah. they put over the side of the building in the diaper? Yes. There you go. Yes. So okay. we, we talked about you know how the, the Democrats are reacting to this. I just got off the phone with Senator Rick Scott of Florida. 
Florida. Uh, just going to go ahead and name drop that here in the conversation the other day. And uh, he was criticizing a lot of the Republicans in the Senate who, or I shouldn't say a lot, there are the few who have been uh, warning Republicans about impeaching President Biden, saying that it would, quote, cheapen, end quote, uh, the, the process of impeachment. Uh, you know how sacrosanct impeachment was from President B.J. Clinton. Uh, but as, as far as Republican attitude towards it, do you think that uh, Republicans would be able to unify some kind of condemnation of Biden in the Senate? Or do you see a lot of Republican senators kind of flaking off like Romney and kind of pearl clutching over how this all went down? Um, so, uh, a couple things. A, I never care what Mitt Romney thinks about anything. Amen. Mitt Romney needs a primary challenge more than Hammer needs a bowel movement. <laughs> it has to happen, yes. and it has to happen immediately. <laughs> just just put, that, put that right out there. Um, so, I don't think there's, there's uh, I, uh, a problem with the idea that we shouldn't abuse impeachment, uh, even though it has been abused. It was abused by the political left. I will not listen to the left talk to me about the abuse of impeachment. And we are not actually engaged in a conversation about impeachment. This is why when Representative Boebert brought it forward and others have brought it forward, I've always been dismissive of it. Because you, in order to bring impeachment, you have to have it. You have to have a full and complete story. And if you are to engage this as a political conversation, which of course impeachment is a political conversation, what do you want more? The impeachment hearing that won't go anywhere in the Senate, or do you want the inquiry, the committee, the actual investigation into the corruption of people like Attorney General Merrick Garland Hmm. and of Hunter Biden? And by the way, can we see the plea deal between the DOJ and Hunter Biden's legal team so we can find out if they tried to lie to a judge and get the immunity past her? Let's bring that out piece by piece, drip by drip. You're an investigator, Tony. You understand how these things work. Hammer, you're a guy who likes to put the screws to people. You know how these things work. The slow drip of information coming into an election season that is of stuff that is actual, real. We have paper trails and data. Now we just need to put it together. It's far more important than the impeachment at the first because it lets us know what happened. Then they can measure the temperature of the American electorate and see if impeachment is on the table. Uh, Tuesdays with Tony. Tony Cass with us. Tony, we got about a minute left here. You brought up election season a second ago, and I don't know why this tweet just makes me laugh so much. I'm somebody that feels like if you don't laugh, you'll go insane or you'll cry. But Donald Trump puts out a tweet or a truth social, whatever the hell you want to call it, that basically states that whoever the winner of that first debate is should move on to like another round where the prize could be being his vice president. Now, it's funny to me because, number one, it sounds like he's leaning toward not being at this thing. But number two, this is like a reality show to Donald Trump. And and look, he plays it well. He, he always does. And, and people seem to, to, to gobble it up. I don't think that not showing up. I think the not showing up hurts him. I, I do. I think that hmm. he's going to get called a coward for it. But then again, the guy gets indicted every other day and it doesn't do anything. 
anything to him. So I don't know if this will or, or won't. Certainly, I think less uh, if he doesn't show up uh, to the to the debate. But you know, people aren't going to worry about whether I think less or, or not of him. It's the only thing. Uh, the question is, is he going to be the nominee? If he's the nominee, I want him to win. That's all there is. Tony Katz has a number one morning show. He also has an amazing midday show that airs not only in Indianapolis, but in Bloomington as well. Tony, what do you got coming up on these programs tomorrow? Can we discuss the fact that Lizzo doesn't like fat people? <laughs> so this is this is the subject tomorrow. You're going to want to tune in. He is on social media. Look for Tony Katz. TK, my man, thank you. Always. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. It is the Hammer and Nigel show. Some would call it Hammer or Nigel. I've heard Hammer and Friends because Big Nigel is out. I believe he is out getting his anus bleached, which means that the Tonus, Tony Kennett with us. Now, we call you the Tonus because that's your Twitter handle, the Tonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you get that? What is that? Gosh, I was in high school and uh, I don't know. I had a friend, uh, I guess now it's like a pastor out in, in Newcastle, and uh, he just like Tone was what his dad called me, and just one day I just started getting called Tonus, and so like Tonus stuck all the way through high school. I also got called McFly because I looked a lot <laughs> like uh, Marty McFly, so I would be in, walking across the quad, and someone would be like McFly, and, and that, I'm sure yeah. you've been called way worse by certain members of uh, political parties across the state of Indiana. That's true. I walk through the state house and get about 15 <laughs> new nicknames, none of them none of them very savory. Well. Welcome to the party, Bal. That's, uh, that's right. what it's like to be a host here at WIBC. So thank you so much for filling in. And you'll be back on Thursday as well as Nige is out uh, this week until Friday when we have Beer Sample Friday out at the Indiana State Fair. Oh, curious. He's going to be here for, for the fun. I see how it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of beers, if you're looking for a reason to drink tonight, maybe you've had a rough day and you're ready to crack one open. Your reason to drink tonight it's Spider-Man Day. It's what? <laughs> On this date in August of 1962, August 1st, 1962, uh, the first appearance of the Marvel character Spider-Man. So Spider-Man is over 60 years old now. So if you need a reason to drink, this is your reason to drink. And because he's over 60 now, that means he's got Grandpa Bod. It's a little bit more than a beer belly. Um, he used to be Spider-Man. Some are now calling him Whiter Man. Whiter Man, Whiter Man. He's a really big junk food fan. Eats his food, supersized. Loves desserts, cakes, and pies. Oh, no. Here comes the Whiter Man. Is he fat? Listen, bud. He's got butter instead of blood. Come on. Can he swing? Not no more. Barely fits through the door. <laughs> Here comes a wider man. Is it bad that I can relate to a lot of things in the Whiter Man song, Tony? No, I mean, honestly, I think it's a probably one of the greatest testaments of the Midwest. If you have butter <laughs> for blood, that's an accomplishment. That's not a bad thing. I believe it was uh, Tim Allen in the stand-up set who once said, it's not a beer belly. When you got a tool like mine, you got to put a shed over it. <laughs> it's the Hammer and Nigel Show.